Welcome to the New Space India podcast, a bi-weekly talk show that exclusively captures insightful conversations with people contributing to advancement of space activities in India. The New Space India podcast is pleased to announce our association with Dassault Systems, a global leader in providing business and people with collaborative virtual environments to imagine sustainable innovations. Dassault Systems Solutions supports startups small and medium-sized enterprises, and original equipment manufacturers in developing disruptive solutions for space launchers and satellite propulsion. Hi, and welcome to yet another episode of the New Space uh, India podcast. We have here uh, Sanath, who is a professor at IIIT Delhi. Hi, Sanath, and uh, welcome to the show. Uh, hi, NP. Thank you for uh, inviting me. Great. So, Sanath, uh, tell us a little bit about how you ended up in IIIT Delhi doing space stuff. Ah, this is uh, very interesting, actually, and this question I many times have uh, have faced. Uh, so, by engineering training, I am an instrumentation and electronics engineer. So, I did my bachelor's from Jadavpur University, but I wanted to do something in space. So, so then I took um, MTech in aerospace engineering from IIT Bombay. So my specialization was in dynamics and control. And after that, uh, I worked uh, for a year briefly in Robert Bosch Engineering and Business Solution and then joined in a PhD program, Australian Center for Space Engineering Research, UNSW, Sydney. So after finishing my PhD, after submitting my thesis, so then director of IIIT Delhi, visited our university in Sydney. So then I had a meeting and I was talking about, so this is what I'm doing and I want to work in space, but I want to come back in India. So he said that, okay, why don't you apply here? And so, and then, so that's from there. Yeah, so now I'm here. Great. So what was your experience? What was your expectations when you came back to India with respect to space? Because, you know, doing space in academia in India is challenging. So what was your initial set of expectations when you just landed in back in India? Uh, well, so initial expectation was uh, very less. I w- knew that I have to work it through because generally regarding uh, the serious research in space, you don't see it outside IIT or ISC in general. But now we can see that uh, some work is going on outside those uh, premium institutes as well yeah so expectation wise it was not much so i knew that i i have to hold the ground for some time and then uh, then actual work will start so actually it took around three to years to form my group at IIIT Delhi. so now we have a nice lab uh, space systems laboratory and we are doing a couple of projects uh, funded projects as well as some, some independent projects that we are also doing. Also, we have uh, collaborations with mainly from Australian universities. I still have a uh, collaboration with Australian Center for Space Engineering Research. I wa- am working with uh, Macquarie University for two years. And as well, recently we started working with CSIRO Australia as well. Fascinating. And, uh, you know, what you said that it took you three years to build up your research group in that sense. So when you say it took you three years to build up your research group, that does that mean that facilities in a laboratory or, you know, things like that or human resources for more research or overall, you know, projects that were funded? I think uh, it's 
sum of all things, right? So equipments, yes, so equipments, gathering all the equipments that I need for uh, specifically for my uh, hardware related work. So I also do some theoretical works, which does not need much, much of instrumentation supports, but, but for hardware related work, uh, specialized hardware is required. So that took a couple of years. Also the critical mass that you need. So currently we have some students, but sometimes even it is difficult to get, get professionals as well to work. Right. And did you expect any initial engagement with ISRO right away or how did you you know come across uh, the people at ISRO and what was their initial reaction as well as uh, when did you exactly re start receiving some of the support from them? Uh, well so uh, I guess ISRO has their mechanism called ISRO response program right so through that they support academia so uh, there uh, after coming back to India I started applying for grants through respond program and in last year we got respond funding from ISRO. It's a joint research with Jalapur University and IIIT Delhi. So yeah, so my engagement with ISRO is through this respond program and this is mainly happens through me as an investigator contact ISRO and talking that hey this is a new thing that we want to do and uh, can you fund. And what are the focus areas that you try to you know demonstrate for ISRO or others? Yes, so the focus areas, uh, so so broad research areas, I work on three topics mainly. So one is GNSS technology, Global Navigation Satellite Systems. One is uh, estimation algorithms, sequential estimation algorithms, which is very important for navigation or in space specifically, and application of these in space, right? So how can we use uh, this, this type, these techniques in space? So for example, how do we use various estimation algorithms for various types of space missions how do we put some bells and whistles in those estimation algorithms to care to make it suitable for a launch vehicle or for a satellite or for a re-entry vehicle so each of them has a different uh, dynamics a different demand that you need so accordingly we have to tune those algorithms tweak those algorithms right so those things we do and also another thing that i currently started is uh, working on space situational awareness so there we are trying to get a better orbit prediction model for space data great and this is a very niche kind of area and I suppose, you know, the response program that you mentioned uh, from ISRO, they look for you know, particular topics that may be coinciding with their own interests, right? So was it just lucky that you had something that they wanted or? Yes, yes. So, so ISRO response program, so they have a set of research problems that is defined and that you can get it from the ISRO website, right? And uh, so from there, you so that has to be matched that the expertise has to be matched initially and then the talk generally starts. So you are kind of then lucky to find one such area. Yeah, yeah, I would say I'm, uh, I was lucky. And, you know, from your experience, you know, since you've already seen this for a fair bit in that sense, are there other people like you who have come back uh, and are trying to set up labs or, you know, how much support they have received or, you know, are you lucky in that sense to have received more such support? Uh, well, so I I know only Siddharth, right? So Siddharth from Amity University. So he is uh, really doing well in setting up his lab and working in collaboration, right? So other than that, I am not really aware of anyone else in academia who has recently came back. So I don't know who has recently came back and 
established anything. I mean, given that you also have experience in Australia that you've worked in and so on. So what are some of the ideas that you think will allow more such research groups like your Space Systems Laboratory to be created in more such universities in India? And how could that experience for especially people like you who have PhDs from abroad are very highly trained in you know, foreign universities uh, and are willing to come back to India and to work? What would that path, you know, how can we make that path easier in India? Ah, it's a really great question. So as academia, I think there are two roles, two key roles academia has to play. One is capacity building, another one is research. So I want to discuss both of them separately, right? So in capacity building, I think one thing is what is required is more awareness in all the institutes, academic institutes, universities in India regarding this space technology. And so basically currently, I think most of the academic environment in India is in a very silo mode. Uh, and when I interact with many of the students, even some of the faculty members, right? So it's mainly their understanding of so space-related technology is either with structural or propulsion or aerodynamics. So some sort of mechanics. Mechanics. So this this is what the common understanding is. That, okay, this is what is required in space. But actually, in reality. Uh, these are required. These are very important things. But in reality, there's so many transferable skills from electronics and communication and computer science, even instrumentation control. So by trading, I'm an instrumentation engineer, I said, right? So those skills are required and easily transferred from those domains to space domain, right? So these awareness has to be, has to be there so that more students get interested that, okay, we can do something in this area without much learning effort, right? That has to be there. So this environment has to be there, right? Another thing is once this, this starts, the students getting interested, then obviously who are highly trained in abroad, right? They will see the value of coming here and then building the training these students, right? So that is one thing. And that will also help in this skilled manpower, right? So now these so many startups are coming up, right? And they will definitely need skilled manpower. At least they have some understanding. Okay, so this knowledge I have and these things I can apply in space, right? So that type of mindset will be developed. So that is required. And obviously, uh, another thing in academia that is required is research, more research in space. Apart from these the, these ideas that I said, that prominently aerodynamics, propulsion, structure, all these areas, Premium Institute work on, but we have to expand to interdisciplinary level. That is also required to attract more talents in India, so that they can they will come and they see that there is a value of coming here and do something. And what is the role that you see for uh, either DST or you know? DOS or ISRO or all of these other folks, you know, what could they be doing to change the existing system? Because Respond is only one such instrument and you only have limited funding. I think it's only up to like something like 25 lakhs or so on. I don't know how much of uh, DST funds uh, space related stuff as well. Can you talk a little bit about what is the existing stuff? That What are the existing possibilities for researchers to then get some support? And then what could be done in the future or what could be changed to get, you know, more such support? Uh, so in recent years, actually, there has been a very good change, in, especially in DST that I have seen, right? In terms of 
proposals, research proposals, processing the proposals, so all these things. And interestingly, the more money actually I get from DST rather than ISRO for this research. So currently, two projects, major projects are funded by DST, not ISRO. So I think DST is doing their role and ISRO is also doing their role as well. But I think there has to be, so what is important now is that synergy. One thing that is not very clear to me is that now when we are doing this funded project, very much space related project with DST fund, right? So now once we have this some substantial amount of research, good technology that we develop, how do we in integrate that with ISRO framework? So this question is currently I'm thinking of that how to do that because for respond it is easy because it's funded by isro and they are possibly will be using that technology but now when this when it is funded by dst and possibly there is a disconnect between isro and dst at some level that okay so this work is go going on through dst and how this can be used in isro so that is can be looked into how far are we from seeing university teams like yourself doing end-to-end -end space missions Okay, <laughs> this is a very interesting question. So end-to-end -end space mission, that's a dream. Um, but I think it would take some time, maybe 10 years, I guess. I mean, so that I'm doing very generous estimation, but could be higher, right? So end-to-end -end in the sense of developing a, the own advanced payloads, novel payloads, doing some novel research and operating, developing the satellites on their own and sending them in space. I think, so well, so there are student satellite programs that are there, right? So that many of the student satellite programs are there, but I think we can do more. There has to be more effort from our end as well. Yeah, so I, I guess in at least 10 years, I would say. What is the general you know, response from students that you have, researchers, you know, project assistants and things like that. Are they, you know, of very high quality that you get or you have to spend a tremendous amount of time training them and, you know, resourcing them? What is your general sense? Because compare that to, you know, other say, sectors or other countries in that sense. I think that we have to put more effort for training them, even finding, finding students, uh, researchers in this area particularly the areas that I'm working on. So because most of the, I think this is again, so comes because of this lack of awareness, right? As well as somewhat it is mindset of the society itself, right? So if you ask anybody, so they will say, okay, so go to CS. So there is a lot of money there, right? And you can have a job after you graduate. So if you do have a decent result, right? So that's well guaranteed, but that's not, may not be the case for so far, that was the, not the case for space technology related areas, right? So because for last couple of, till last uh, 2020s, it's mainly ISRO was the only entity who were working on that, on this domain. But I hope the perception changes over next few years because new space companies are coming up and that's... I that might change the perception in the among students that okay so there's this is an alternative career path that they can take right so then hopefully you'll get more talents uh, to join in this area there's a lot of uh, laboratories in the world like the space dynamics laboratory in the us and you know even cicero and 
some of the other university labs in Australia as well, where there's a lot of people who are trained, like you are training them in your laboratory at this point of time, who then take up full-time jobs within that laboratory and they actually run research labs themselves and they are basically full-time researchers there and building space missions at the end. I suppose, you know, that is also still a far-fetched reality in India. I mean, what is the transition that your current students and current researchers that you have in your team would they then just graduate and take up employment in the industry that's the expectation or you know what is the life cycle like uh, so that actually depends on the student what she or he wants to do with with the life right i have not graduated any phd student yet so currently i have one phd student who hopefully will be graduating in two next two years so I, I think I can answer you a better that what is happening. But I would say that, so what I generally do with uh, my current students are that I show them that these are the options. It's, options are not very, uh, so so many, right? So you either you have to stick to academia or go to industry or create your own startup. So these are the three things. Uh, so generally I tell them, so this is uh, these are your options and now you choose what exactly you want to do. Great. So let's talk a little bit about your own work in this sense. So what is it that you exactly do within the field of uh, GNSS? Currently, what I, I am doing is that one is GNSS reflectometry, where uh, so in common general GNSS receivers right, or GPS receivers, uh, we are interested in the direct signals that are coming from these navigation satellites. And with that, we, are, we get the position. What we want to do in DNSS reflectometry is that we want to use these existing infrastructures for remote sensing purpose. So that means, so currently, if you see the conventional remote sensing sensing, you have to have a very expensive payload for either in optical spectrum or radio frequency spectrum to get an image or understand what is going on on the surface, right? But this DNSS reflectometry, where we are talking about reflected satellite signals from the ground, receive it, and then process it to understand what is going on on the surface, right? So that way, what we are doing is that we are kind of, we don't have to build or spend money on the transmitters, which will be sending the signals because those are already there. Somebody else has already spent the money for that, right? We have to just develop a receiver which is sensitive enough to get this reflected signal from the ground and then process it and tell us some information regarding the ground. So currently we are interested in estimating the soil moisture from the ground using such receiver. And our focus is NAVIC, so Indian constellation for navigation. So currently we, are, we have successfully demonstrated in the lab and environment that we can use NAVIC signal for reflectometry purpose, we can differentiate between different levels of soil moistures. So that we have done and uh, we'll do field trials soon. So this is one aspect of my research in GNSS. Another aspect is GNSS vulnerability. This global navigation certain system, it has created uh, somewhat one single point for very critical infrastructure. So GNSS is driving our transport system, driving our communication system, power grids, the synchronizations are time sync, the frequency synchronizations are done using GNSS. 
and financial transactions that are also timestamped by DNSs, right? So now it has created a large systems of very huge system of systems which is very complicated with a single point which is DNSs. And if you disrupt it strategically, then you might create a very heavy damage, right, to a city or to a nation, right? So it's a vulnerability. Or how can you actually disrupt this this service by simply jamming? Right. And this is this GPS signal jammers are pretty cheap. It's $70. It's just $70 that you can buy a jammer, jam somewhere, and you will see very disrupted solutions in your positioning, in your timing. Right. So currently, in collaboration with Macquarie University, we are trying to develop a very accurate localization algorithm for this jammer. So we want to know that where the jammer is so that we can take some measures right so this is what another aspect and third thing that currently i'm doing is satellite selection so now there are so many gnss navigation satellites are there so at a time you could see 40 satellites a receiver can see a normal receiver can see 40 satellites now if you have to design a very efficient power efficient receiver you cannot afford to track all these 40 satellites together right? so so you have to select few of them which are the best set of satellites? Say you want to select eight or nine satellites out of those 40, which are the best sets. So that I also work, work on. So you uh, currently I'm using some AI algorithms for selecting those satellites. Excellent. You know, that's a really nice, interesting set of things that you're trying to do. What is the benefit, let's say, to the society or the application front from all of this research? Because these are very three distinct buckets and there could be applications for both civil and military as I see it. So what do you see as the benefit for end users in this? So this uh, reflectometry, what I think is uh, benefit would be in the agricultural sector. Major benefit would be that in the agricultural sector because these, these receivers are very cheap. You can make this very, manufacture this at a very lower cost. And also its resolution on the ground, how much resolution you get to measure, it's also uh, high resolution than the conventional imaging as well, due to the, uh, the signal structure of the DNSs, right? So, and also it is possible, so to get a very simple soil moisture estimation receiver using GPS, the very low cost receivers on ground as well. So that can be just fitted areas of interest and you can get real time monitoring right so that can be used for agriculture in the sense that you can have use water resource very optimally right so if you when you have information about soil moisture all the time right so then you can optimize your water resource you can try to improve your agricultural yield so that is one another application is in climate monitoring right so because soil moisture is actually a very important parameter for climate monitoring as well so if you can observe this in a long run so that is done already done in a using the conventional remote sensing satellites as well but uh, again you can do it using this gnss at the high resolution so there you will have a data points for climate monitoring as well and that can be applied to weather forecast better weather forecasting as well so this gnss reflectometry although we have started with soil moisture monitoring but that can be extended for sea state estimation in the sense that sea wave high or wind speed estimation. So that will help us in better weather forecasting as well. 
So this is the benefit for the reflectometry work. And um, the benefit of GNSS vulnerability is mainly to prevent severe disruption of GNSS service in hubs of all these sectors, transport, power, finance, all these sectors. If, if we can detect and then neutralize the, those signal sources very quickly, right? So for that, we have to localize first very accurately. So, so that would help in that way that um, protect uh, the hubs of this, uh, this infra critical infrastructure. So this is another benefit. And for satellite selection, I, I guess this benefit in terms of developing low cost, low power receivers. So that is receivers on the ground, you mean? Yes, yes. Right. And I know that, you know, Navik is also now trying ISRO as well as both uh, Government of India is also trying to get more and more adoption of Navik right. for uh, India as such. How can, you know, your work or even otherwise, uh, do you have any ideas on how Navik could be spread more and more? Because mobile phones is one where people talk about including just the Navik uh, receiving capability on mobile phones. Apart from the usual smartphone, you know, adoption or having to mandate, uh, you know, government vehicles or otherwise uh, big transport vehicles to carry Navik. Are there other ideas that you think will proliferate Navik using these low-cost receivers? Well, so one hurdle for Navik is always the issue of interoperability with other uh, navigation satellites, right? So the, that is because of the where the signal structures were chosen, right? So one is one in L5, another one is in S, right? There are reasons behind that why this was chosen earlier. But now when the, the talk of this new L1 signal has come in, so I think that is quite encouraging. That will reduce the effort of developing multi-GNSS receiver, including Navit, right? So then there's a cost-cutting issue is coming and then I, I think it will get more, uh, more use of Navit. Also, uh, apart from that, we have to actually do some awareness programs. So I think, for, for example, we could think of, take the example of European Space Agency, right? So before even Galileo was in full, fully operational capability, right? So they have publicized this uh, a lot about what is exactly, what are the benefits to the public in a very, uh, very, very layman language, right? So if we, somebody just start talking about navigation and pseudo range signal processing, right? So then that would not work. So in a very layman's language, uh, it has to be told to the common public, that common people that, that, okay, so these are the benefits if you use Navic. So that is one way. Right. So that ESA has done very nicely before even this uh, Galileo uh, was uh, fully operational. So now people know about Galileo, right? So so same thing we have to do first in our country. And now since this is uh, also now the plan is to make Navig global, right? So then we have to also, before it, even it goes to global, right? We have to pitch it in the international community as well. So, for example, what I see from past experience, in, so for GNSS technology, right? So, so there is a flagship conference is organized by ION, Institute of Navigation, GNSS Plus. So, there, I think more representation from Navic experts is required so that 
internationally also it is uh, it becomes well known what is exactly going on people gets to gets their query resolved so all these things are required yeah thanks you for you know making it kind of very clear in uh, that sense so apart from you know your technical work with respect to the gnss uh, itself uh, one of the things that i also wanted to ask you is uh, how are the synergies for either people using your own facilities that you are creating in your laboratory at this point of time for either you know young companies or startups or even pre startup ideas to then you know do some products or services well so no, not yet so current i'm working with a startup which is incubated at chipilati delhi itself so they are helping me with uh, this uh, creating a chassis for the this receiver that which can be mounted on a drone on this drone right so so in that way we are collaborating but for developing their own product uh, so far i have not seen any interest yet because of the design i think this mainly because we are very new lab and we have to go for more active publicity i guess yeah so because people don't know when they don't know then obviously they don't come right right and one of the things that i wanted to also to share is uh, how is the funding structure today organized in your research so what percentage of different research funding and overall research funding that you have you know is it all at this point of time 50% dst 50% isro or you also have research grants from your own institutions triple itd or how is it uh, that you have now broken down so currently the funding structure is uh, something like that so initial support was provided by my, my institute chitlati delhi the its initial support was from them and now i guess uh, the uh, percentage wise i would say around 75% is from uh, dst and 25% from isro you know what is the expectation on the isro side from you know this respond project because uh, you are doing something with isro under respond and you know you are delivering that and uh, are there a certain implementation that they will do and then you will be involved in it or the research phase is done by you and then they just take it further uh well so i think that depends on project to project for our case it's will be developing a software for them for precise orbit determination and they will be then use that to their uh, existing or future missions you said something very interesting precise orbit determination yes so what is the problem that you are trying to solve uh, so here what we are trying to do is that we are trying to get the position estimate the position of uh, low earth orbit satellites within say sub metal level accuracy so in centimeter levels we want but currently we have achieved meter level so around 2 3 meter but obviously we are uh, continuously tweaking the algorithm and hopefully soon we'll get this sub meter level centimeter level accuracy and that would be using again navic or what is the research that you are trying to do uh, no so this is using gps okay this is using gps then and also i guess uh, i also read that you are trying to do something more on the lines of space situational awareness as well yes uh, in the space situational awareness we have uh, funding from dst dst supported organ- organization national supercomputing mission so so from there we have funding for that so there we are trying to develop um, again a software tool which will be 
refining the current data tle data that is provided by norad or space surveillance network so they provide this uh, orbit information for uh, all these space debris in tle format two line element format right but what is the accuracy that uh, that information is not provided and so based on that taking decision whether there will be collision or so what is the best decision decision that we can take if there is a, a, a imminent collision happening right uh, if we see so that becomes difficult right so it's it, uh, currently all these things are mainly we are completely depending on usa for this uh, so what we are trying to do is that using this data which are less accurate or the accuracy is unknown and also adding a more uh, high fidelity orbit model with those uh, with those data and neural network we want to have uh, some sense of accuracy in the sense of the uncertainty of these orbits so that we want to get first for all the observable space debris so that is one so another thing is that once we have this better orbit and also some better uncertainty so so then what should we do so what should it do in terms of an uh, say and from an active satellites uh, context that we're looking at for, for for a particular satellite and where we are finding that okay so there is a prob probability of collision at some point now what should it do and generally this is again done very manually so we want to make that effort lesser so we want to use some reinforcement learning algorithm here so that this decision making becomes automated and we have some confidence on on that we have whatever decision that has been made whether we'll be shifting the orbit or or, or will be, be the satellite will be on on the orbit that the, that decision is optimal that confidence we can gain so this is what uh, we are currently doing with this project very interesting project overall are you trying to kind of do experiments with uh, you know in orbit assets to verify some of these models yes so that is our plan so we have not been there uh, we are not there yet because this we got this grant very recently and we are just we are starting with the orbit modeling first but yeah so the testing and verification we want to do with the actual assets in space another thing that we want to do is that we want to keep an option of using just raw data in the sense that and uh, azimuth elevation observations as well so if we get that information then it will further improve that so we want to keep that option open as well so that in future if we can have our own assets which on the ground we can use for this space situational awareness ISRO is also conducting, you know, space situational awareness programs with, uh, you know, the MOTR in Shreyakota and, you know, Project Netra with the new phased array radar and so on. Yes. So how do you see this ecosystem of information evolving for space situational awareness with, you know, ground-based telescopes, radars, with space-based stuff together? Uh, well, so this ecosystem in the sense that eventually all this data has to come to a certain point and that process. it has to be processed right and so that's where we come in i guess so this is where uh, we come in and we we want to develop this computational infrastructure which processes this so currently we we are using the supercomputers from iisc for this type of computations 
again you know in that sense uh, there is of course all of this data that you will need to then get access to as well because uh, you are really dependent on some of the other sensors that other people operate yes so so the for that we have to so at some point we have to get into agreement with isro so that is one also another thing what we can do is using existing optical telescopes that are there so so that can be easily used optical telescopes even radio frequency telescopes so so the the work currently we are doing with csiro is we are looking into the possibility of existing radio telescopes if we can use this for situational awareness so that we are currently exploring the possibility so i hope if that, that becomes successful then that, that would be very easy so we can use this existing infrastructures not only from isro but also from other academic institutes such institutes for this work right and for that you are you looking at partnering also with somebody like uh, iia or others who operate such telescopes uh yes yes so that will be looking at once we have some substantial result to show great so and this sense you are then looking at a network of partners including isro who operate assets and then iia who have some of the ground based telescopes and yourself in this sense must be quite a lot of work in convincing a lot of these people oh yes yes so that that convincing part is the, the that is very much required so yes so so the, we are not there yet because we don't have substantial amount of result to show yet so once it is there we'll start trying to convince them and so what is the mechanism that you use in you know just talking to them given that now we are also in these covid times where perhaps you cannot beat them in person so how do you build confidence in all of these people to be able to get all the traction so it's uh, contacting them individually through emails emails mainly uh, yes and also so or since we already have a couple of contacts in isro so then generally i ask them okay so i want to talk with particular person how can i do can you introduce me there or not so this this is the way it works i guess i mean it's very interesting all the work and i guess it's also super difficult so what are the general challenges like where you see you know given the place you have and all the things that you have established already where do you see the most challenging things for you is it getting access to research grants is it getting access to the right people what is the overall challenges that you see well so if you uh, had asked me this question 2 years back i would say is the research grant but currently i guess getting research grant has bec- uh, has become easier over the years in that sense obviously when you have a, some, some track record right so then it, it becomes easier but the most challenge that i face currently is the human resource the right people to get into so that is the most challenging thing right right now but convincing the right people to come here and work and that is because uh, you know you are looking at a pool of students or researchers who are then from your own university or you know how is it that sourcing is a problem so sourcing in the problem is that, uh, that generally what we, what we do is that we float the vacancy everywhere in the web and then we review all the applications that we have get right so so i guess the uh, problem is mainly the expertise that we are looking for in the candidates many times the, those are not there so the, the, that is the main reason i guess right and one of the overall aspects of this that i've seen also many other startups complain is the quality of the candidates because you know i've had a conversation with a couple of other startups who said 
we broadcasted five positions we had 5000 applications that we had to sort out to you know pick engineers to then have work with us in your case is it different because uh, i guess in your case it's a lack of candidates or is it just more candidates that have lower quality oh so so the, that is a very interesting uh, data point you have provided the 5000 candidates is a huge volume actually so i never got that <laughs> less volume of con- con- candidate is there also the lower quality so that is also another I- issue for uh, my lab my experience is that less numbers of candidate may be interested in applying uh, in the position and also whoever applies there we don't get the cup two things one is the expertise that we are looking at also that can be somewhat balanced if a candidate has a motivation of doing doing the research right so so most of the time that motivation actually outweighs the expertise right so 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 the lack of motivation is also very important thing and you of course you know in your website you also mention many other interests as well apart from just the gnss uh, part of it in that sense i'm sure that you are interested in many other topics in all of this apart from just the gnss and you know ssa as such so are you looking at new areas in which you can uh, develop some more interesting research groups or you know other areas that you are new newly targeting and if people want to reach out to you what would be those areas mainly okay so first thing is obviously i would be looking at mainly space applications and uh, guidance navigation and control of various type of space vehicles starting from so because my phd work was on navigation of wide range of space vehicles so so that part currently i am not actively working on guidance control and navigation of uh, specifically launch vehicle so that is i am very interested in so that is one and using very new new estimation algorithms so that is also where i want to explore so 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 that that may not necessarily need to be in in space application so for example these estimation algorithms as, as i said that is used for this uh, target tracking so any kind of target tracking application that can be used so all all these areas i am interested in to expand do you see any potential for many of the upcoming startups in india to engage with you in one form or the other uh, i guess so uh, so i can see a lot of common interest with many startups so for example the gantara is there right for space situation awareness so and they are trying to develop space assets for observing all these uh, space debris so that is one i guess from the launch vehicle uh, development as well there I, i think there's a common interest in the sense that very accurate how do we get a very accurate position of the launch vehicle itself right so that is very important for orbit insertion so there if we can have a better confidence right so so that would in turn help us in reducing the fuel uh, consumption for the for, for the satellite itself for going to the actual orbit right so that is one area another area what what i see is say that utilizing this remote sensing data what we get from uh, from this uh, reflectometry receivers right so that again somebody has to process it and provide uh, in, integrate with existing sensors and then provide us some better understanding of what is going on so i think in that aspect maybe such sure could be interested so so in future possibly i'll be approaching them 
great so final question uh, so thank you very much for spending almost an hour of your time in recording uh, this particular episode i think it's very interesting and insightful your activities because i've not really seen many academics who are you know educated abroad or coming back to build laboratories like you are i think you're doing a great service in that sense uh, by building a base in academia for especially for space in india and i hope that more such people like you you know come up come up and they are supported in uh, building this and i do hope that your own operation scales up and you're able to then move into a a full scale mission kind of a scenario so i generally wanted to ask you where do you see yourself in the next you know 3 to 5 years in that sense and what do you expect to achieve in the next 3 to 5 years with your own laboratory and uh, overall from your work in 3 to 5 years i would say first thing what we want to achieve is research wise i want to see our flectrometry receiver working nicely and obviously next our next stop is uh, developing a space grade reflectometry receiver putting it on our leo satellite so that uh, we are actively thinking about that process is going on so that is one thing that we want to at least start so this is a, again so this is a huge problem to so- solve right so put, to put a, a completely new technology on a satellite right so that might take some time but at least what i think is that the, i want to see that starting and also in terms of uh, ssa so i want to see our algorithm running and providing us some good information regarding in terms of this decision making for leo satellites and how can people get in touch with you what is the best way to approach you uh so best way to approach i'm available in linkedin so just you can just contact me through linkedin or my email id is sanat@itd.ac.in this is the, the other two ways that Uh, anyone can contact me and i generally always uh, i'm available through the email so that is my major point of contact again you know thank you very much i wish you luck for the future in all the things that you are trying to do and any listeners who are listening in and want to collaborate with you or work with you or you know are trying to do research and want to get into the research and they find the topic very interesting i'm sure that they can then reach out directly to you Thank you again for taking so much time and uh, good luck for your future. Uh thank you NP for inviting me. I really enjoyed uh, this session. Very interesting questions that you have asked. Thank you very much.